Let's get back to more of Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. You are listening to KBLA Talk 1580, and I'm your host, Ariva Martin, and this is Ariva Martin in real time. And here for her debut appearance on KBLA is Congresswoman Katie Porter. She is a graduate from Harvard Law School, like me, and so I'm super excited whenever I get to talk to any of my uh, Harvard Law School friends and uh, former alums. Uh, welcome, Congresswoman Porter. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Well, lots to talk about. Lots on your plate. Obviously, tomorrow is the big State of the Union by uh, Joe Biden. Uh, but before we get to that and what you anticipate the president to talk about tomorrow, I want to talk about you, because you made a big announcement not too long ago that you are running for U.S. Senate. And now we know Adam Schiff, a former, uh, well, one of your colleagues in the Congress is also running. And Congresswoman Barbara Lee has indicated that she might run. Uh, all three Democrats, California, big blue Democratic state. What distinguishes you, uh, Congresswoman Porter, from your uh, fellow Congress people, persons? I've been in, yeah, I've been in Congress um, five years now, and I think in that time I've shown a willingness to to kind of rethink how to make the institution connect better to the American people. So many people have seen me in hearings using a whiteboard or charts, um, trying to really help people understand there are people fighting for them in Washington. We do see the challenges that they face, making ends meet at a job, um, trying to pay for housing, struggling with all the government bureaucracy and paperwork, worrying about whether their taxes are being spent wisely. So I think I have a real track record of being able to communicate to a broad swath of voters, including those independents and those non-Trump Republicans that we want to come on over and support our values going forward. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the reason I've, I've taken this approach, been willing to stand up to CEOs, to Trump officials, um, and really call out kind of bad behavior is that I don't take corporate PAC money. Um, I am not someone who's beholden to corporate interests or special interests. I am there to do my job for the American people. And I think it's a sort of a different way to think about doing Congress um, mm -hmm. and being willing to say, I love America, I love this institution, but it's not working real well. Americans are losing confidence that their Congress people are fighting for them. And we have the exact same set of challenges in the Senate where the Senate used to be the last line of defense in our right. democracy. And now a lot of people are, are worried about the Senate and whether it's really delivering for the American people. So Congresswoman Porter, we know uh, Nancy Pelosi, speaker just retired not too long ago. And by some, she's considered one of the best, the greatest speakers uh, of the U.S. Congress of all times. She's come out and has uh, endorsed Adam Schiff in this Senate race. What are we to make of that? You, you served alongside her. She's a California congresswoman. Schiff is as well. Barbara Lee is as well, too. But uh, Pelosi has thrown her hat behind Adam Schiff. Well, I don't think this is unexpected. Um, you know, there's a establishment in Washington, and this is what the establishment does. It continues to build on longstanding relationships. Congressman Schiff's been there 23 years um, during Speaker Pelosi's long and amazing um, career as our speaker. Um, and so I think it's not, not a surprise to see this. Speaker Pelosi has lifted up Congressman Schiff, giving him opportunities on impeachment in January 6th, where I think he you know, did a good job for the American people. Um, but this race is ultimately not about any endorsement. It's about the 
voice of the people of California, about the direction of the future. What kind of fighter do we want to send to Washington? What kind of voice do we want to have um, lifting us up? And I think I have a lot to offer California in that regard. Yeah, I, I know Congresswoman Maxine Waters, you served with her uh, on the, the finance committee and you guys oftentimes, you know, kind of had your disagreements, one of them over your use of the whiteboard and other types of evidence that you would bring into hearings. Uh, where does uh, Congresswoman Waters, her voice, you think, where, you know, how does her voice and some of the issues that you guys have had, how do you think that'll impact your run for Senate in the state of California? Well, I have the greatest respect for Chairwoman Waters. And before I ran for Congress, I worked on housing issues, consumer protection issues, and we had the privilege of testifying before the House Financial Services Committee and really saw how deeply she was in the fight to help families save their homes, to stop predatory lending. Um, she is an amazing chairperson. I learned so much from watching her manage a hearing room. Um, there really, it's a remarkable and important voice in the US Congress. I just watched her amazing testimony last week in the Rules Committee, um, where she shot down um, the, the person um, noting that, that Trump and Kim Jong-un and others, what they have in common um, mm -hmm. was actually Donald Trump. Um, and so Maxine's just an incredible leader. I feel grateful to have had the chance to work with her. Um, I do think that, you know, People think about how to engage with voters, engage with the public, engage with witnesses in different ways. I was a teacher. I was in the classroom. So I was always really thinking about how do I keep my students following along? How do I get right. them to the right answer? Um, so I had a wonderful time on the Financial Services Committee, and I have nothing but respect for Chairwoman Waters. I enjoyed serving. And, right. it, and if I had had the chance to stay, um, I would have taken it. In fact, I, I wanted to stay very, very much on the committee. Uh, what do you say, though, to Congresswoman, uh, what do you say, Congresswoman Porter, to African-American voters in the state of California who may feel like your uh, interactions with uh, Chairwoman Waters was disrespectful or that somehow, you know, you uh, are, are on her bad side and, and they may feel like that impacts the way they think of you as a candidate for U.S. Senate? So this is your opportunity. This is a station that has a large Black audience, particularly African-American voting, uh, you know, audience in the state of California. What, what do you want to say to those Black voters? Well, I want to repeat what I just said, which is Chairman Waters is amazing. And I am a champion for her continuing to have that voice to fight for consumers, to stand up to big banks. Um, it is just an incredible privilege to have gotten the opportunity to serve on her committee. And it's one that I wish I could have continued um, to have. Um, I think there's been a lot of back and forth and confusion because Congress's rules are so arcane about how this works. Um, but essentially, financial services is what's called an exclusive committee, meaning you can only serve on one unless you get permission. Um, if you're on a non-exclusive committee, mm -hmm. and that jargon, see, non-exclusive, right. then you can serve on two. Um, I served on financial services when Mr. Cummings um, passed away, when Katie Hill retired, there were openings on oversight and Mr. Cummings had tried to recruit me to oversight when I first got to Congress. Um, and so I went on the oversight committee because unfortunately we lost, we as Democrats lost seats in 2020. Mm -hmm. Those, the number of Democrats on committees had to shrink. And I was going to be removed from the oversight committee because I was the most junior, second most junior member. Um, and I wanted to stay on oversight. So I decided to prioritize oversight. 
Um, and then you have to pick up a second non-exclusive committee. I picked up natural resources. I care a lot about pollution, about right. making sure that polluters are cleaning up and not taking advantage of communities. Right. And then I asked for a waiver to serve on financial services. There were more of us than asked that mm -hmm. asked to be on it than there were mm -hmm. spots. Some people got it, some people didn't. And that's the way Congress is always gonna work. Right, yeah, I, I wanna ask you one more question. I know you have a hard out, but Elizabeth Warren, uh, Senator Warren, someone who supports you, and I know you've worked very closely with, was asked on a show about Joe Biden and specifically about Kamala Harris running uh, as uh, Joe Biden's running mate in, in 2024. And, you know, some said there was this long pregnant pause. And, and again, African-American community thought that Elizabeth Warren was being disrespectful in some ways to Kamala Harris. Do you have an opinion about whether Joe Biden should run again in 2024? And if he does, if Kamala Harris should remain uh, as his VP running mate? Well, I think that President Biden and Vice President Harris are an amazing team. Um, that is the team that they have crafted, that they have lifted up. And it's a team that has delivered for the American people, um, including for a lot of folks that haven't always gotten what they needed from government, who haven't always been seen. Vice President Harris has lifted up the experiences of Black Americans, of Asian Americans, of Californians, of people who have dealt with civil rights issues. Um, and so I absolutely expect President Biden to run again. And I absolutely support Madam Vice President continuing in that role. Kamala was incredible in giving me my first opportunity in the state of California to fight for homeowners. And when she was state attorney general, she asked me to, to fight for homeowners to make sure the banks actually did what they promised. Right. And that is ex her insight and understanding that powerful interests promise things all the time. And then they turn around and hurt mm -hmm. the very communities they're supposed to help. She taught me that, and I am continuing to see her live that value as our vice president. So I'm excited to see them both tomorrow at the State of the Union, be able to stand up and clap and cheer for President Biden and Vice President Harris. Well, I am so glad to hear that full-throated endorsement of my good friend Kamala Harris and of her uh, continuing in her role as vice president when we, you know, every expectation that Joe Biden will run again. And maybe you'll have a conversation with Senator Warren. We love Senator Warren too. Uh, maybe you should uh, or can have a talk with her about why it's important that we support Kamala Harris. She has the full support of the African-American community. So many uh, women across this country support her uh, and Democrats support her in that role because she has done an outstanding job. Thank you so much. Uh, Congresswoman Katie Porter for joining me in your debut appearance on KBLA. Best of luck to you in your campaign to become California's next senator. And we will be looking, uh, all eyes will be on Joe Biden and Kamala Harris tomorrow night at that State of the Union. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. I want to bring back in my contributors, uh, Dr. Tyrone Howard and Dr. Douglas Flo. They are back with me as we uh, talk about State of the Union and what we can expect tomorrow. So Dr. Howard, you, I know, will be uh, watching very closely what happens in that State of the Union tomorrow. Uh, you heard uh, Congresswoman Katie Porter talk about you know, her full-throated commitment of Biden and Harris, but we know a lot of folks are going to be looking at that State of the Union looking for mistakes. They're going to be looking for those I got you moments to say that Biden somehow isn't, uh, you know, with it, that he's not as sharp as he was, that he shouldn't be our next uh, president. What are you going to be looking for in the State of the Union? You know, I think the, the State of the Union is one where the president has to look 
back, but also look forward. So what I'll be looking forward to is what the president will outline in terms of his goals for the next two years. Uh, he'll be working with the Republican-controlled Congress now, which is difficult. So he's going to have to really show his uh, his his skills in terms of working across the aisle and making sure that he can find any kind of legislation that will be able to to, to be passed. Because we know that this this uh, this con Republican-controlled uh, uh, Congress uh, uh, is really about obstruction, obstruction, obstruction. They don't want to hand the president any victories. So I want to hear what he is listing as his top priorities moving forward in this. Uh, pre-election year, if you will, because, you know, there, there's not going to be any room for him to find any kind of ground and any kind of traction because they just don't want to give him any wins that he can he can go into 2024 with. Uh, yeah, Dr. Ford, did you hear about or read about, you know, that interview that Elizabeth Warren did where there was this pregnant pause, I guess is what people are calling it, uh, where she seemed to hesitate about whether Kamala Harris should be on the ticket again mm. in 2024. You know, Black Twitter went crazy. Black Twitter just, you know, lost it. And in some ways, because Katie Porter is closely aligned with Elizabeth Warren, I think, you know, she's also gotten her share of backlash from Black Twitter. But, but were you following that interview that Elizabeth Warren did? No, I, I actually, um, I, I wasn't following it, but I, you know, again, this goes back to what we talked about a little bit earlier, that there, there seems to be this, uh, you know, almost in a lot of times, a lot of cases tacit, but then also kind of explicit, um, you know, this you know, kind of weird expectation of Kamala Harris that that doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense. And, and I think, um, you know, this thinking about the, the, uh, you know, the Biden administration and Kamala Harris moving forward, um, you know, I think that they're going to have to, you know, whether it's un whether it's fair or not, they're going to have to be able to make clear to everyone, you know, with this with this um, State of the Union speech and, and continuing forward into this election, that they're able to deal with the shift in politics, right? There's a shift in national politics, and it's encapsulated in those polls that we talked about before, right? I mean, not only are Democrats, but also Republicans are looking for new candidates in the next uh, in the next election, um, which which really says that people are kind of hoping that we can stop and reset our presidential politics and possibly rethink some of our platforms. And I think both of them are going to have to, again, whether it's fair or not, which, as we talked about a little mm -hmm. bit earlier, um, they're going to have to show that they're able to deal with this shift and this reset and possibly rethinking of, of presidential and national politics. Yeah, you're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. I'm talk taking your calls at 1-800-920-1580. Again, taking your calls at 1-800-920-1580. And I, I, I don't know, uh, Dr. Howard, it just seems like Democrats in particular, we're always looking for that next shiny object. I was at the inauguration ball for Wes Moore, the first African-American governor of the state of Maryland, and he had not even had his first date on the job. And already people were saying, oh, he's going to be the next president. Oh, he reminds me so much of Bill Clinton. He can walk into a room. He just lights up a room. He's so charismatic. He looks you in the eye and, you know, he, he just speaks to you. And it's, it's this searing uh, look that he has that he gives you and his family's beautiful his wife he has a daughter a son you know a dog so he's got like this perfect you know American family and no doubt the brother is charismatic no doubt you know he made history by becoming what the second black governor in the state you know in, in the country and you know 
the first black governor for that state. So I don't want to take anything away from Westmore. Just an incredible, incredible, uh, you know, victory for him in becoming that governor. But I'm at this ball and then dinner and party just saying to people, wait a minute, the dude has not started the job. We don't know what kind of governor he is going to be. And why is it that Democrats were always looking for that next shiny object? And yeah. I, I mispronounced, let me just correct yeah. myself. I, I called, I don't know, Governor Whitmer something, but I didn't call her Gretchen Whitmer. So let me correct myself on that. <laughs> the governor of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer, is also on that shiny new object list. She's uh, being talked about with Gavin Newsom, with Wes Moore, with a Prisker in Illinois as the next shiny object. What's that about? Yeah, you know, we have a short memory uh, in the in the Democratic uh, community because if you recall, Ariva, it was only a couple of years ago when 45 was in office and the shiny object at that time was Joe Biden, that we mm. needed Joe to run. We needed Joe to run. Biden was the one who could, who could take out Trump. And there was this fixation and this real intensity around making sure we did everything to get Biden elected. Well, that worked. And so you can't be so quick to think that the grass is greener on the other side. We have mm -hmm. got to make sure that there's all the support behind the Biden administration to do the things that it says it wants to accomplish in these next couple of years and not think that the, the, the next, as you say, new shiny object is better than the one that you have. Give me give me reliable, consistent every day of the week over what I think is going to be shiny and new when it might not be as 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 uh, as palatable as we might think. And no respect, no disrespect to, to, to you know, to to Westmore, no disrespect to, to J.B. Pritzker, no disrespect to Gretchen Whitmer, all of whom have a a lot on their place as it is, but there are there are crises we're fighting today. There are battles that are happening today that still require the kind of support that the president deserves and needs. In the state of California, we're fighting significant bouts with homelessness that oh still on attention. We're still fighting, you know, racial gaps and racial inequality that still needs our time and attention. And I would add this final thing. There are still a lot of judicial appointments that have not gone through in Congress because we've got this real yep. sort of uh, stall tactics that are being done uh, on the part of Congress to make sure that the president is not able to make those appointments. So there's a lot more on our agenda now. Let's not look too far ahead when we have challenges here now. Yeah, a mm -hmm. lot of work to do. We're going to continue this conversation when we come forward after sports, news, and traffic right here on KBLA Talk 1580. Ariva time is the right time. More of Ariva Martin in real time when we come forward. forward. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. I'm back. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time, and I'm your host, Ariva Martin. I'm talking today with Professor Ty, uh, Tyrone Howard from UCLA and Dr. Douglas Flo from Washington University, right in my hometown of St. Louis. And we've been talking about some of the latest news and uh, giving our analysis as well as our opinion on what's trending in the news. And uh, again, as I said earlier, I want to hear from you. So if you have a call, uh, if you have a question, you have a comment, give us a call at 1-800-920-1580. That's 1-800-920-1580. Or post your comment on YouTube. Uh, your voice matters in this conversation. You know, I, I didn't have a chance to speak with either of you about uh, the horrible beating of Tyree Nichols in Memphis, Tennessee, 
that happened on January 7th. But uh, in the news today is yet another story of police excessive force. This is in New Jersey. This is a police officer that fortunately didn't kill an unarmed Black man, but he shot him in the back. And that man now is paralyzed as a result of being shot. Uh, the attorney general in the state has charged this officer with uh, aggravated assault, uh, said that he used excessive force, that he didn't give uh, this a man, young man, a warning uh, to stop or that he was going to use lethal force. And I just wonder what the two of you as African-American men are thinking in this moment about our crisis in policing, because we saw the wall-to-wall -wall coverage uh, following Tyree uh, Nichols, the release of those videos, those horrific videos, wall-to-wall -wall coverage. And now it seems like, uh, you know, I write out the playbook, we're back to business as usual. This story about the man in New Jersey is like the 12th story down on the feed for the New York Times. So are, are either of you feeling optimistic that we're gonna ever see any kind of reform in this country that will put an end to this excessive force that we see uh, used over and over again by officers, sometimes white, sometimes black, but against black men in particular? Um, I, I'm optimistic. I mean, uh, mostly because there, you know this is all linked to a broader history of police violence. I mean, I write about the early 20th century, the late 19th century, and you can see all types of police violence back then that we are now, over the past 10 years, really talking about. Right. So the simple fact that we're having these big conversations, that there are these actual convictions, it's not completely solving the problems, as you just said. The very you know just a week later, we're having some of the same issues pop up, as if those big protests and those big uh, conversations are not being had at all. Um, but I, I do feel like we're moving in the right direction. I think that this huge juggernaut of the historical violence that we see from police to African-American communities is starting to, to turn around a bit. Um, and you know, I, I'm, I'm optimistic to an extent, but uh, it's, it really has to do with the way people are thinking about it and that we keep talking about it, that we keep it in the news and that we keep pressing for, for convictions and changing the way not only that people think that, that police think about their own acts of violence, but also the administrations surrounding them think about that violence. Uh, but Dr. Ford, when you say things are starting to turn around, what what evidence do you have of that? Like, what are you referencing? Because in, uh, you know, from where I sit as a civil rights lawyer, that you know works in television, common you know gives commentary on these cases all the time. I, I just feel like you know, as much progress as we made in, in certain periods, we've, you know, we've, we've also seen a regression. Mm -hmm. And I'm not so sure we, we have fewer numbers of people being shot and killed every day by police, particularly African-Americans. In fact, I think I saw a stat that said 26% of all people that were killed by police last year were Black. And we know we're only 13% of the country. So yes. what evidence are you making reference to? Yeah, I'm, I'm referencing just the way that people are thinking about it and the fact that we're seeing convictions that 20 years ago we wouldn't have seen. But I want to be very clear, I'm with you. Um, we're not seeing a complete turnaround on this. Uh, the fact that we are seeing people paying attention and that we're seeing convictions does not mean that there's, still, there's not still a lot of stuff happening that needs to be addressed. Uh, and yeah, I'm also so, I mean, thinking, obviously you're right. 10 yeah. years ago, prosecuting a cop and yeah. then getting a conviction at a jury trial was, you know, not likely to happen. And we even saw prosecutors who wouldn't even file charges, even when the evidence was there. So, yes, we've seen police officers getting prosecuted. We've seen them being convicted. We've seen them going to jail. But 
Professor Howard, it doesn't seem like the other officers are looking at that jail time or those prosecutions saying, you know, I'm gonna think twice before I beat up somebody with my body cam on and with their body cams on and with a camera on the pole. Yeah, I, I wish I could be optimistic on this one because what we see at play here with policing is what I like to call exhibit A of anti-Black racism. I've written about this in so many different ways that anti-Black racism is endemic to the American way of life. And it's in our politics, it's in our education, and it's in our policing. And as a matter of fact, our policing system here in this country, going back to slave patrols, had at its foundation uh, anti-Black racism, the surveillance, uh, the monitoring, uh, the punishment of Black bodies. And so uh, part of what I, I've written about and talked about is even with anti-Black racism, Black folks can still subscribe to the tenets of anti-Black racism just as much as white folks can. In mm -hmm. some cases, Black folks hold up the tenets of anti-Black racism even more than, than white folks do. So as we talk about- yeah, let, let me stop you right there because that's such an important point. And you know, that came up so much over the last couple of weeks as we talked about Tyree Nichols, a lot of people were so hurt, Black people in particular, to see that those officers were Black. Others didn't understand how race played into this. Uh, you know, some white folks I saw on social media saying, you know, we told you this wasn't just white cops who think Black men are dangerous. This is Black cops as well. And it isn't a race issue. So you know, break that down because I think a lot of people think race is about black and white. And when you get past uh, black and white, no. they don't tend to see the nuances. I, I, I didn't say, sorry. No, go ahead. This is this is a, a big old question. And we got a couple of minutes in this block, but we'll yeah. pick it back up. And I, you got to tell me what you uh, were thinking too, uh, Professor Flo, about shiny objects. I, I didn't forget about it. Oh yeah, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that this shows that police violence is beyond race. And that does not mean that it's not about race anymore because obviously it's rooted in race and obviously it is empirically day to day still about race. But that race is, is often, a, is, um, it is kind of baked into the system of policing, right? So the, this actually proves that that critical race theory point that it's not just simply about white and black, but it's about the fact that race can be baked into systems. So even even if you could prove that someone doesn't necessarily have racial hatred, and these are black police officers, uh, you know, you could you know, they might they might say themselves that they don't, but that race is baked into the system where violence is often enacted against people who are people who are uh, of color or people who are considered to be a suspect or people who are considered to be powerless. And that is often one and the same. Um, so this makes it very clear how race is really baked into systemic processes. Yeah, but I guess this makes it really hard for a lot of people though, uh, Professor Howard, particularly in this moment when concepts like critical race theory that again are never taught in elementary school, not taught in high schools, not even taught in most colleges, mostly taught in graduate programs and law schools like the one I went to, uh, but still, th there's this notion that if I'm black, I can't harbor, you know, racial animus towards another, uh, you know, black person in particular, and that complicates things for a lot of people. And I think a lot of people are still having a hard time wrapping their brains around uh, what happened in that Memphis case and what does that mean as we try to fix policing because it's a lot easier if we say it's the white guys against the black guys. Yeah. But if we say it's the black guys also against the black guys, that makes it a little more complicated. Uh, stay with us when we come forward uh, right here on KBLA Talk 1580. We're going to continue this conversation about race and we're going to play a little Grammy Jeopardy. Stay with us.
She's the real deal. In real time. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. There's no time like the present. Let's get back to more of Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. You are listening to Ariva Martin in real time. I'm your host, Ariva Martin, right here on KBLA Talk 1580. I'm talking to Dr. Tyrone Howard and Dr. Doug Flo. We're talking about race and can you be black and be a racist is basically the question. And, and this came up a lot in the Tyree Nichols, unfortunate you know, beating death that we all witnessed on uh, you know, video. So during that whole discussion, came this topic about race and, and racism and you know what it means to be a racist. And it, we really saw this with the, uh, the officers themselves as well as the police chief. The police chief there in Memphis is an African-American woman. She got a lot of praise initially for firing the officers and you know turning the case over to the district attorney that charged them pretty quickly. But then the question started to surface about her because she was the one that created this scorpion, this so-called elite crime fighting unit. And then we learned that she had created a similar one in Atlanta that had been disbanded. And now we know that the one in Memphis has also now, you know, been disbanded after, you know, Tyree Nichols' you know, horrible murder. So what does that say about race and, and being black? You know, how should we be thinking about race in this moment, particularly as it relates to this policing crisis? Um, I'll say, you know, we, we we had for a very long time a tradition of, of African-Americans being lynched in the country, right? There was vigilante violence. And after a certain point, that was no longer legal and people still did it, but they did it clandestinely rather than public. But what happened was we, we delegated that vigilantism to the police. And for, for many decades, police have been enacting all different types of violence, in some cases, killing people, and then making it clear that that person was uh, aggressive. And there was really no way to tell for sure whether or not that actually happened. We would take their word for it, and we would just see it as a justified killing. And I think what is really important with these elite crime teams and with, with all of these issues of policing, one of the things that makes me uh, use the word optimistic, although that, that is still a word that I'm not sure I should use, is that we're, we're putting daylight on that, right? We're actually exposing this habit of of, of using lies to justify killings. Mm -hmm. um, we, for so long, we've endorsed it. You know, we have characters like Dirty Harry and Jack Bauer from the show 24, um, who by any means necessary, they get the, the, get the criminal. Um, and we just kind of ignore whatever sorts of, you know, unethical things they might do. And I think this exposure is really important for us to actually really question uh, how we endorse police violence. Well, we, we feel right. safe because police do the things that they do. And we don't really want to know about the dirty details. Well, there's a story in the New York Times today about these elite crime fighting units and how they have been, you know, uh, discouraged, but yet they keep resurfacing. And like I said, the chief in Memphis uh, started the one in Memphis, the Scorpion unit, and she's associated with one in Atlanta. What are you thinking, Professor Howard, about this black office, this black chief? Do you think we gave her a pass because she is black? And, and do you think had she been a white police chief, we would have been so generous in our praise of how quickly she acted with respect to firing those officers? Yeah, so race is always complex and it has multiple layers to it. And so did she receive a pass? One could argue perhaps she did because there was swift action with the firing of the officers. But I think we cannot give her a pass for the creation of the Scorpion unit in the first place. And I just don't want to get away from this idea that 
Baked into this framework is the ways in which anti-Black racism, undergirded by white supremacy, says that Black people are not worthy of the basic human uh, sort of rights, and they're not given the same kind of opportunities to make mistakes, they're not given the opportunities to err, they're not given the opportunity to, err, to be human in ways. And policing is one of the ways that tells you that you are not seen as an equal, that you are not going to be given the same human rights and civil rights. And we have to begin to understand that whether you have a Black police chief or a white police chief or Asian or Latinx police chief, there's still this notion where race matters. And they will tell you, many officers will tell you that blue is what matters. Mm -hmm. Blue is what supersedes black, white, and everything else. And so when you see those officers in inflicting that kind of pain on uh, Tyree Nichols, it tells you right then and there that there is a, a disregard for black life when it comes to blue power. And that's what we have to really get contend with. Yeah, you're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. I'm taking your calls and your comments. You can give us a call at 1-800-920-1580 or post a comment on the KBLA's YouTube page. Uh, yeah, I, I think the thing that resonates with me the most, Dr. Howard, is your statement that race is complicated because I still think that, uh, you know, the, the inability that some folks have to even learn about race and the complexity of race in their homes, in their schools, makes it even more complex because people go into the world as adults, into their jobs, into the community, ignorant uh, about systemic racism, about what it means to be a white supremacist, and the fact that you can be Black and still act in a way consistent with white supremacy, that we are inculcated to with white supremacy, you know, ideals and notions. And, and we, in many cases, incorporate them into our daily lives. And then we act them out against other black people. So, you know, big conversation, you know, I want to continue to have, we're going to continue to have on this show. Uh, but before I let you go, we got to play a little Grammy Jeopardy because I'm just obsessed with these uh, awards and black women. I talked a lot about Beyonce, but we shouldn't forget Viola Davis, uh, became an EGOT uh, last night at the awards by winning her Grammy. So she has an Emmy, uh, a Grammy, an Oscar, uh, and a, a Tony. And Lizzo, one, who's one of my favorite all-time artists, uh, About Damn Time, I love that song. She was a big winner. Black women, I, I think, ruled the night at the Grammys. So, all right, you guys ready? These are real easy. If you watched it, <laughs> if you love music. Okay, first question. <laughs> Which marching band became the first marching band in the history of the Grammys to win an award last night? All right, guys, come on. <laughs> no pregnant pauses. All right. Uh, so I'll give you a hit. It's they are their school is uh, in a state in the South. Okay. Come on, Georgia? work with, work with Tennessee State University. Oh, okay. TSU. <laughs> became okay. the first marching band ever nominated for Best Roots Gospel Album, and it won with the Urban Hymnal. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Beyonce, you know this, uh, Dr. Howard, uh, you know, got those 32 awards. Who did she surpass uh, in terms of the title of the most career wins by any artist. Yeah, Giolitti. Who is Giolitti? Gio, I can't think of his name. Giolitti, <laughs> I think, is, is what it sounds like. All right, you want to help your brother out, Dr. Flo? <laughs> I unfortunately didn't watch the Grammys last night. Okay, well, uh, you didn't have to watch it. That's like a history question. All right, his name is, I guess it's George or Gorge Salty? So, so yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. all right. 
Last question. Somebody get this right. Stevie Wonder performed last night. Lots of his classics. His first guests were uh, was a band of a boy band called Wan Mar. W A N M O R. Wan Mar, I guess. Wan Moore. Wan Moore. Who is their daddy? Oh, come on. <laughs> you, you, you picked some tough ones tonight. Uh, <laughs> Who was their daddy? Uh, what okay, is, I don't yeah. know. I hope you got this one. This is a boy band that was created by a famous singer, male singer, and they performed. This is their big kind of breakthrough. They were on this big oh. stage at the Grammys performing as the guest of Stevie Wonder. One more. One. So think of W.A.N. Oh, oh. Wait, boys to men, right? No? Kanye Morris. Yes. Uh, from oh, boys God. to men. These are his kids. Oh, that was a good, that was a yeah. good guess. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> All right. My time is up. Y'all go back and Google like yes, grand yes. trivia something. So when I have That's you right. on That's again, right. yeah. you yeah. can yeah. do a little better on my Gravity Jeopardy. Thank you so much, Dr. Howard. Thank you so much, Dr for joining me uh, on Ariva Martin in real time. Always a pleasure to see you guys uh, and to have your big brains help us break down today's Thank news. Your expert Thank analysis you so much. greatly Thank appreciated. You so much. We'll Thank see you soon. Thank you so soon. much for having us. Thank, Thank you. you. Keep up the good work, Ariva. You're doing great. Yes. I appreciate great you guys. Show. All great right. Uh, so much happening in the news and Ariva Martin in real time is the destination for the trending news for expert analysis and my unfiltered opinion. And as you can see, I have some of the best experts uh, in the nation joining me every Every day to help break down the news and big interviews with folks like Congresswoman Katie Porter. And we're going to be celebrating Black history throughout the month. And the station is celebrating Black history. So stay locked in to KBLA Talk 1580 because the next voice that you hear after mine is going to be none other than Les Brown. He's got a, a radio residency the whole month of February. He's going to be right here on KBLA Talk 1580. He's going to be motivating you. He's going to be giving you tips and strategies on how to get your uh, life, you know, where you want it to be in 2023. All those New Year's resolutions that you made and maybe didn't keep, Les Brown is going to give you that motivation to keep going. Uh, the name of, of his show for the next, uh, you know, several weeks throughout the month of February, Black History Month, is you got to be hungry. So make sure you stay right here on KBLA uh, for Les Brown. And you can follow me, follow these conversations. Uh, I can be found on all social media platforms at Ariva Martin. I want to hear from you. Uh, continue to tune in to Ariva Martin in real time. Download the KBLA app. Uh, you can also check out the Ariva Martin in real time podcast. Yes, I have a podcast everywhere where podcasts are found. Uh, you can check out all of the shows on KBLA uh, Talk 1580 right after news, traffic, and sports. Les Brown, you got to be hungry. KBLA Talk 1580. I'm taking my freedom, pulling it off the shelf.